Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials, and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. It is the late show. It's Monday night and it's with Tom Rogers. Tonight we're looking at Ofsted and the future of Ofsted. What could the future look like? What should the future like um, look like? We're joined by Tom and three fantastic guests um, to delve into that. This is, of course, the first Teachers Talk radio show since we announced we've had one million downloads, and I'm sure that Tom Rogers will be telling us more about that. Tom, over to you. Thank you, Tom. Um, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk radio once again. Uh, with The Late Show, and tonight we're talking about Ofsted, what could or should the future look like. Um, I've got multiple uh, special guests and people arriving to discuss this issue with me, uh, including Simon Kidwell, who is the NAHT president. I've got Becky Allen, the co-founder and chief analyst at TeacherTap, um, and I've also got Shivan Davis, who is an English teacher, all Three of those people will be joining me to discuss this this evening. Uh, massive thank you for kick, clicking play on this or joining us live, Stuart and Ethan already joining us, but also just for everybody who is going to join us this evening, a massive shout out to you and a big thank you for, for tuning in. Um, if you've clicked play on this on the recording, then also welcome to you. Thank you very much for, for joining us and spending a bit of time with us this evening. Just two minutes of background on this. Um, this show was sort of inspired by um, the end of Amanda Spielman's tenure as chief inspector. 
uh, Martin Oliver, or Sir Martin Oliver, I should say, is taking over um, as Chief Inspector um, following this um, very, very soon. And um, yeah, it's, it's almost like the changing of the guard. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to explore what Ofsted was, what it is, and what it should be or could be in the future. And of course, there are lots of different views on Ofsted. There are those who would like it to stay exactly as it is. There are those who would like it to stay broadly as it is. There are those who would like the gradings to change, but for Ofsted to remain. There are those who want the gradings to go, uh, but for Ofsted to remain. There are those who want Ofsted to be abolished completely and be replaced with a completely different system or something completely different, whether that be self-evaluation or peer evaluation or something that a lot of other countries in the world do. Um, so we'll explore all of those points um, today. Um, first of all, I'd like to welcome Becky. Becky, are you there? I am. How are Good you? Good evening. Not too bad. Thank you. For, and thank you ever so much for um, coming on. And I know I've only got you till around 7.55, so I want to sort of dig right in with some some questions for you if that's okay great let's get started i want to ask you um first of all what in your opinion is amanda spielman's legacy over the last seven years as chief inspector of schools oh gosh i mean that's such a difficult question isn't it, it? is because in, in so many ways the regime was different and it was different because she came in with a materially different perspective on how you can see whether a school is good or not. And this huge emphasis on the curriculum. And so we could look at it and say, is that going to be her legacy and the thing we remember her by? Um, but she did that within a system, I suppose, where there was kind of an absolute maintenance of the status quo and the status quo in terms of kind of the nature of the inspectorate the lengths of inspection there was no big changes and and the accountability that was wrapped around it and that ultimately became the thing that caused you know so much conflict and strife within the latter days of her time and is it just the case that ultimately the way we remember people ultimately becomes um, informed by what comes next. Mm. And if there is a change of government and if the change of government means that there are some material changes in um, what judgments are made on schools, whether we still have you know, a single word judgment and even what happens to the accountability system wrapped around it, then will she in part be remembered for that, even though you know, even though that wasn't really, you know, part of her time, if you see what I mean. I do. I mean, do you think that, because one of the big changes, of course, that um, she made was the move away from sort of the cold, hard data uh, way of inspecting. Like, let's look at the data, let's look at Raise Online, let's look at all these different things, and then mm -hmm. let's make almost like a, a sort of predetermined judgment, if you like, based on the data. Um and then it almost changed to this, well, let's do deep dives and let's look at the curriculum and so on. And let's make a judgment more based on that. Do you do you genuinely think that was a positive change? I mean, do you think, for example, that doing that means that judgments have been more accurate generally? Or do you think that that's actually even more open to perception and bias? 
we have no way of knowing whether the judgments that are made are accurate or not, because we have no research studies or framework for thinking through um, whether they're accurate. We know what we want the inspectorate to judge. We want to know about the quality of learning taking place in the school. And we know that the inspectorate definitely can't judge that. And the reason why they definitely can't judge it is because the way the modern inspectorate work is that they go into school with these fleetingly quick inspections with relatively small teams where they kind of buzz around and have a vague sense of what might be going on in the school. But it's necessarily true that they have to rely on lots of proxies for the quality of learning of which the proxies are you know the the written documents before that and the written documents in this case were um have become the curriculum statements that we have the schemes of work looking through the children's books and trying to observe learning taking place before that it was the data it was the CEF, you know it was the statements yeah. from the leaders but all of these are incredibly poor proxies for the quality of learning and i say this as somebody who's lucky enough during my days to wander into schools and and just walk into classrooms and see what's going on and i find it you know fascinating this idea that it that we have people especially people who are often not subject specialists or phase specialists walking into a classroom um with the job of judging the quality of learning um and making a judgment knowing that we can't really judge that can we we can observe things going on when we visit schools and there's some things we can definitely observe when there's problems i mean for example if you see schools where there's you know major issues with behavior in the schools you can definitely judge that when you walk into schools but there's all kinds of other stuff that is just necessarily difficult to judge so i don't see the regime of using curriculum documents as being any better or worse really than the data document regime it was just another load of kind of activity that schools did didn't they for for, for a number of years in order to prepare for Ofsted um, I mean you say you can judge behavior but obviously the mm -hmm. critics would say um well you know you can there are some schools who would set themselves up for those two days every school sets themselves up for those two Absolutely. days in some way shape or form but and when it comes to behavior it yeah. might be one of those that's a little bit easier to disguise or, you know, um, make look a certain way. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Days. I mean, let me say that schools don't tend to prepare for my visit. So what I meant was when ah. I go into schools, yeah. I can observe right. behaviour. Um, and that's the thing that, like, it's really easy to spot what the behaviour at schools is like. When, But but I'm not a stranger. And, and Ofsted is not set up as a secret shopper. It's not... You know, done secret secretly. supply teacher. Yes, yeah, secret supply teacher. That's right, and 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 it's not done with no notice at all. So as you say, they don't even get to observe the one thing that at least other visitors to the school genuinely can see: the levels of disruption that are taking place in the school. Um, obviously, you've then got the sort. I mean, if let me ask you straight, Becky, if if mm. you had sort of the magic wand now, mm. and you were going to change. Ofsted mm. in any way that you could and money wouldn't be an object if you just thought right we're going to completely mm. change the way we do things would you change it like what would you do there's four parts to the Ofsted debate and some of them get debated a lot and then others don't there's the who who's going to schools under what guise and with what expertise when they go in 
what are we planning for them to observe and how? What is the length of the inspection? And you know, what's the basis under which we're going to be judging the quality of learning? And then once they've done that, um, what are they going to say publicly and privately? And that includes whether there's going to be a single word judgment that's public or private. We all talk a lot about that bit, don't we? And then there's the last part, which is what happens within the accountability system. What happens automatically to schools that are struggling and what happens normally in terms of school improvement support? And we talk a little bit about that too, don't we? And I think maybe for the teaching profession, it's really important we talk about the first two things the kind of who do we want going into schools and under what guise and what is it reasonable for them to do within a fixed length of time and how long do we want that length of time to be because I think if we could start by setting up a really good process where we got the right expertise going into the right schools and the right classrooms, where it may be that we decide for some schools they need very long and intensive visits because we really need to deeply understand what the nature of what's going on at that school is, then we might start trying to get to the point where we have a much more realistic picture within our inspection system of the thing that's useful, which is the question of what does what type of support does this school need next in order to improve and get better? Um, and I think if we could make all of that process more secure, I would um, I would you know I of course I would get rid of single word judgments. Um, I would get rid of all the automatic stuff that happens within the accountability system. I think there needs to be some human judgment of what the best solutions are um, for schools. But all of that stuff becomes a lot simpler if you get to the point where you think you're making trusted and kind of secure and informed judgments on what the school is actually like. And I know, you know, for so many teachers and particularly for head teachers, what they find so frustrating about the whole process, aside from the jeopardy, the high stakes and everything else, is that you end up with this bizarre inspection report, which is not a representation, not even an accurate description of what the school is like. And that has to be at the heart of any kind of inspection process, doesn't it? But would you argue, there are those who would argue now, actually, that Ofsted already does that. There are those who would argue now that it, it is humans making those judgments. You know, it's, it, they moved away from the cold, hard data of what's the progress rate and what's the residual and what's this and what's that. And then let's make a judgment from there. They would argue that now their approach is more human. That's what they would argue. And by the way, they're not here today. I did ask no. them to come on. And they said no. Um, so, so it's, it's true that they're it's true that they're humans. But what do we mean by the kind of the who, who and the expertise? You know, for me, I really want like all HMI to have been really experienced head teachers, and they're not at the moment. I usually want subject experts or phase or year group experts to go in um, as far as possible to be able to have productive. Um, conversations and make productive meaning of, of the things that they're seeing. All of those things used to happen, you know, and they used to happen under the very long inspection system. And it's enormously expensive and you can't inspect as frequently and you probably need to think about the consequences of that. Um, it used to be like five days, right? Or And it used to be, you used to get like two weeks or something lead in time. You used to get Two terms, no. Two terms, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and it was a long inspection. It was a large team, so that if you were 
in a mass department, there would be a mass specialist would be in every single secondary inspection team, and they would spend their whole week pretty much up in the mass department. And they would really get to know what was going on in the mass department. Um, and teachers at the time would say, um, you know, of course, they didn't love it, but they, they were with another maths teacher who was inspecting them and they were having professional conversations about what they were doing in their department, which is not what inspection does anymore, because it can't, because you go in with a very small team, so you can't have subject experts um, and you can't spend any time at all in any you know particular place really trying to work out what's going on. I mean, there are sort of, I think I spoke to somebody once who works in the Republic of Ireland and they have something similar to that where, you know, th there isn't a two-turn notice period. I think it's, it's quite a short notice period, but ultimately they do work for a longer time and they actually go into department, like subject areas. So there's a subject area inspection. Essentially, I guess what Ofsted would argue is like a deep dive. However, that would last for days, whereas an Ofsted deep dive into a particular department might last for a few hours or something. Yeah, that's right. Days yeah. or something. Um, whereas, you know, they were with them for, for ages, you know, and, and sort of exploring things. And of course, they don't have the judgments um, at the end. They don't have the four judgments. And by the way, interna international listeners, by the way, who are listening back to this on the podcast, because we do have people from Iran and India and all these other places listening. Thank you, by the way, for tuning in. In case you're wondering what we're talking about, in England, the inspectorate gives four grades which are inadequate, requires improvement, good and outstanding. So there is an argument there to say that, you know, that these one word judgments, I think you've said, Becky, that they need to go. But I'm wondering in terms of like you, you've said, correct me if I'm wrong here, you, you would sort of back this idea of having longer inspections if the money was available, longer mm. inspections. Um, or flexible length inspections. Um, flexible length inspections. Yeah. Would, would you, but there is that, there are also those who would argue against that by saying that, any form of inspection in the current way it's done, as in like a window and, you know, a notice, particularly if it's a longer notice period, um, but even without one, I guess it depends what your success criteria for inspections is, isn't it? Because, you know, there are those out there who would say the amount of stress that yeah. it puts onto staff, even if the judgment is right, let's yes. say, even if the judgment is correct, right, yes. and it's outstanding or good or requires improvement or inadequate or whatever. And, and that's based on a criteria for that, which some may or may not agree with. You know, there are those who would say, well, an outstanding school to me is where every child is happy, super yeah. happy. Right. And let's, and we, and so let's, and let's yeah. talk about the stress and the damage, because there's two elements of it. And one is the systemic stress across the entire system where um, teachers and leaders um, feel deeply unhappy about um, and worried about inspection and being judged and so on. And that leads to people leaving the profession. We know it doesn't teach a tap because when we ask people who say, I'm looking to leave the profession in the next three years, why are you? Out of many of the things they mention, like one of the top five is the accountability system and Ofsted is frequently mentioned in that. So we know that's an issue. But then there's the separate issue, which is on the individually, on the schools that are failing and that are difficulties and that we're going to pass a judgment on them. What is the consequence of having made that judgment? And does that judgment allow the school to get 
to a better place and improve or not? Or actually, does it make it more difficult for the school to improve once they've had that judgment? Because actually, you end up in situations where staff don't want to stay at the school and you trigger a cascade of difficulties at the school. And maybe this comes down to the ultimate question, Tom, which is, um, are there schools that are underperforming in the system, incredibly fragile schools where students are not able to get a good quality of education for a variety Mm. of reasons. Yes, there are. Mm. Um, Do we need the inspection system to know who they are? Um, We need something, don't we? We can't just, we need something and we can't just rely on the data and we know that for sure. Um, I will say, you know, local people know, local authorities tend to know where the problems are, but, but, but they're marking their own homework. So we, we need something that acknowledges there are underperforming schools in the system. And that's what an inspection system can do. And it can do it privately without talking publicly and declaring them as being unsatisfactory schools. Um, but we need at least a private mechanism for acknowledging there are underperforming schools within the system. But there's no point in acknowledging them unless something gets better for the kids at those schools. And I think that's the part where I think, you know, we... we talk so much about Ofsted and we don't talk enough about, you know, why do we find it so hard to sort out problems where they occur in underperforming schools and help them sort themselves out? Um, I guess the, the other, what, what you're basically saying is, does Ofsted help a school in that context? People, people will know, the teachers will know, the head will probably know, the parents will probably, you know, some of the parents will. Do, does Ofsted help to improve schools and i know ofsted's response would be we're not there to improve schools which yes. amanda spielman said this in her interview we're not there to improve schools we're just there you know our gift yeah. <laughs> is to is to tell people how crap they are no i'm joking but it's to tell people you know and then sort of go away and then it's up for others to you know to sort it out that's that is, that's what the role she outlined there and and the reason she gave was obviously because of funding and because of you know they can't become a school improvement body and neither should they etc cetera, etc cetera. but i just wonder if they're not improving things for schools or teachers overall then is that important or do, or is well, it a case of ofsted should be unpopular to to me it's important and the reason why it is unpo- important to me is the only other rationale for ofsted if you don't by the argument that they're part of the school improvement system. Even if they don't do that job themselves, the information has to feed into a school improvement system. If you don't buy that, you have to buy the Amanda Spielman argument, which is the part that I think will die, incidentally, which is that the judgments themselves are the important thing. And they are important because we believe in parent choice and they are a decisive factor in helping parents choose schools. That's the part that I think will go. Um, I think it will go because... Um, they are not needed for parents to choose schools. Um, I think um, uh, they they will go because there's just a political will there for that to change. There's something interesting about the consequences of her belief that um, essentially she was there to help parents choose schools, which was that she also shied away for that reason from um, inspecting multi-academy trusts 
So mm. she had a very firm view that the thing you inspected was the school. And I'm not against that, by the way. I, I have a lot of sympathy for that because actually that is the thing that the children go to and that you know that's the thing mm. we care about, the school and the quality of learning. But you can see how once you get down that parent narrative of saying it's about helping parents choose schools, that you end up in that world where the only the only sphere of reference for thinking what is the object I'm looking at is the school and it's not the multi-academy trust. And the reason why the multi-academy trust ends up mattering quite a lot is that if you think this is ultimately all information that gets fed back into a decision about what happens when we see that there's underperforming spectrum discovers it and we have a decision about what to do, it does become material that you know something about the multi-academy trust if they're part of it, because that becomes material to the story of what support do they need, what support do they have and what support do they need. Mm. Becky, uh, thank you ever so much. I know you've got to go. So I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on. Amazing start to the show to be able to talk to, to you um, and on a Pleasure. personal level, someone I much admire. So thank you very much indeed for coming on. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Um, I've got Sarah on. Um, Sarah, can you hear me okay? Oh, maybe not yet. Don't know. While we're waiting to see if we can connect, Sarah, um, I'll just mention our sponsor tonight, which is John Cat Educational. Um, if you are interested in advancing your professional development, look no further than the John Cat Bookshop. Um, head over there to johncatbookshop.com. Use the code JCTTR2324. Get 20% off any book or even if you order like 50 books you can still get your your 20 percent off um any uh john cap bookshop book um we're massively appreciative of john cap for supporting us here at teachers talk radio thank you to them um while we're waiting to see maybe um tom and admin can try and help sarah i think it might be sarah sarah uh, maybe hi can... tom oh hi sarah's there sarah good evening to you how are you hello yeah can you hear me Maybe not. Don't know. Don't know. Um, can can Sarah hear me? Tom, can you hear me? Can I can hear you, Tom. Sarah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear right, me? Right, now, Tom, you speak. Hello, Sarah, can you hear me? Um, so ask, uh, Tom, can you ask Sarah to call in again? Sarah, and we'll see if we can Sarah, get her going on there. I'm um, speaking there. I can't hear Tom speaking. No, Sarah, what you need to do then is leave and come back, please, and then we'll see if that works. Yeah, okay, can I, can I come back on an iPad? Will that work? On your phone is best. <laughs> okay, I tried that. Hang on, right, we're going to bring in Shivan. Shivan, are you there? Hi, Tom, can you hear me? Good evening, I can hear you. Can you hear yeah, me? Good evening, CC. Oh, perfect. Um, and also we've got Simon. Simon, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you, Tom. Can you hear me? Smashing, I can hear you loud and clear. Um, I'm going to be hopefully talking to both of you next uh, about all of this. Uh, stuff. Um, and Simon, I'll, I'll start with you uh, with a question for you. What is Amanda Spielman's legacy as Chief Inspector of Ofsted? So I think when I heard you ask that question to Becky, so I started making a few notes. I think we need to look at some of the positives which have happened over her tenure. I think her focus and success in dealing with some of the legal schools 
uh, was um, is certainly something which um, I would I, I would certainly go and say she was very effective at. I think during the pandemic, I think she was sensitive towards the needs of schools and made sure that Ofsted was uh, focusing on schools' response to the pandemic rather than the Ofsted framework. Um, and I think her work around the relationships education, when we had all those protests happening in Birmingham, she was somebody who was prepared to speak out and support mm, schools. Yeah protest so you know really good stuff and and i think the the notion i know that um amanda spielman went and went and engaged a lot with the nht and the other teaching unions when she was bringing in this concept of the quality of education and and i think having been inspected um under many previous regimes and it's i think nine inspections i had since i started as a head in 2005 that was really refreshing to see us moving away from the data because you could almost predict within a um, a five percent confidence interval what you were going to get based on your data so this notion of not the data not being the um the starting point for inspect or not being the final destination for inspection which it was and becoming a starting point was really refreshing um so but i think the reality is that that framework though trying to judge the quality of education is causing real anxiety on the ground because of the um because of the workload issues that it's generating and the workload issues tom not just for school leaders but especially for school staff uh, school staff who are having to take um, have those conversations with ofsted through the deep dive mechanism they feel under tremendous pressure but is is amanda spielman's legacy overall positive or negative is, is well, she I in the positive I'm, column or the negative I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to answer the same as becky i think we should judge school leaders and head teachers three years after they've left a the school and i think uh, let's go and see how it how it pans out in in three years what because... what did you think of amanda spielman's woman's hour interview on radio four did you yeah, did I'm... you listen to it I did. I did listen to that carefully, and, and I don't want to. I mean, it's the, it's it's the end of somebody's tenure in Ofsted, and and I think we need to talk about the inspectorate as well. And I think there has been over the last twelve months. I think there's been collectively and systematically, not 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 naming one individual, um, a lack of empathy towards some of the concerns which have been voiced around inspection and the toll it's having on individuals and individual schools. So that's been that's that's been a a system issue around this empathy and, mm. and not listening um, to but, the impact it's having. But there are those who would say that her interview on BBC Radio 4 was her sort of chance, if you like, at the end of her tenure to share her thoughts on various things. Um, for example, she was asked if she had any regrets during her tenure. Um, and she said her only regret was that she should have introduced the webinars for outstanding schools sooner because they were they were excellent um i'm just wondering though in your opinion looking at ofsted over the over the last seven years or, or, or certainly over the last number of years what are the things that stand out to you that you would have really looked at and said i wish that had gone differently yeah i, I think the first thing is uh, we, we wish there'd been a, an immediate pause only for a short amount of time after the death of Ruth Perry. That was something we were calling for, and that would have perhaps gone and um, um, taken some of the um, some of the anxiety and some of the anger away uh, was aimed towards Ofsted. And I think that the, the media silence was um, was also quite um, was, was challenging there. So I think the way they've responded to that tragedy um, has not always been is not is not always been 
in line with how the profession are feeling. Taking the temperature of the profession over the last 12 months, I've always been broadly supportive of Ofsted. As, as, as I still think we should have a, an inspectorate, but I think the sort of anger we've seen from the profession, the sort of stress it's putting school leaders under currently, is, isn't good. And when we've done our NHG survey this week, Tom, Ofsted is the main reason why head teachers are leaving their jobs prematurely. What, what did the survey say? Because I know it was mentioned on that BBC interview. So what taught me through exactly what it said in that. So, so the survey was talking about, do you have confidence in Ofsted? And 85% of um, people who responded to the survey said they, did, they didn't have confidence in Ofsted. And when we go and when we look at teacher tap data, and we look at the reasons why head teachers are leaving and the head teachers are about 30% are leaving after five years, Ofsted is the main factor. And what, in your view, because you... I've obviously been ahead for a long time as well. What if you had to pick two or three of the points as to why that is from within it? What what would you say it is from a head? Yeah, so so I was inspected under the current framework um, back in May, April this year. So yeah. I think the anxiety of waiting has been really difficult. We've had the pause with COVID. I think for those outstanding schools, Tom, that haven't been inspected for sometimes up to thirteen years that not knowing when they're going to come is really difficult and and planning your diary around that's really difficult because i was going to the lake district before easter with a group of year fives and i had to make a plan b to get back to school i eventually wrote to ofsted and said can you please come quickly because i'm going to london with the children in may and i, I, I could do without making a plan b for london so i think it's not not knowing and, and, and being on high alert and the longer you're on that high alert it's it's more difficult so i think i think the abolishing the inspection for outstanding schools was hugely damaging for, for school leaders' mental health. Secondly, I think the subject deep, deep dive methodology, I think it's put a lot of accountability onto subject leaders. Subject leaders are, are saying things like, um, I don't want to let school down, they're having to um, you know, understand the curriculum and, and take on what we would expect in high schools, Tom, to be heads of department roles in primary schools and, and often uh, primary teachers don't get uh, don't get additional payment for taking on that responsibility so i think i think the accountability has, has been not shared but it's been spread and and i think ultimately head teachers when you have an ofsted you, you're twiddling your thumbs under the current framework a little bit because a lot of those conversations are going on with the uh, the school leaders um what, what would the, you say though in that regard because i know amanda spielman mentioned this in the interview she did because she said something like 93% of schools after an inspection say it was great. Um, well, I think a lot don't respond to that. I think Ofsted need to go and look at the questions they're asking and the sort of um, surveys they're doing, because it doesn't marry what, what teacher Tapper is saying. It doesn't marry what NHT sur uh, surveys are saying. It doesn't say, it doesn't marry with what um, education support surveys say. So I, I think, you know, Ofsted... Um, need to be looking at the, the, the questions they're asking and how they're asking them and maybe get an independent review rather than um, their own internal data because that certainly isn't the feeling on the ground around Ofsted that uh, that many schools are, um, are, are, are actually happy with Ofsted. Got you. Um, in the interview, sorry, to, uh, we will move on from the interview, but I do think it's really important because it was the chief inspector and she said a lot of things that, you know, are very sort of important in the moment. And one of the things she said, which relates to what you've just said, was she said that people, and she refused several times to say exactly who, but she said people um, are using the death of Ruth Perry as a pivot to criticise Ofsted. Um, do you 
agree with that? And in I, which I, I absolutely don't. Um, I, I've met Julia Waters. I've um, I know she came to our conference and spoke very passionately. I saw the the, the crowd funding appeal that went out at the weekend. Um, no, this is this is a tragedy, and, and and the tragedy that happened, Tom, could have happened to many of us when we heard this timeline of what happened with Ruth. She was a, a pupil at the school. She was a deputy head at the school. She'd been in that school for a long time. She'd called in Ofsted to do a, um, a trial inspection back in 2019 that Amanda yeah. went and attended herself. So she was a, you know, I, I know colleagues who knew her, who worked with her. She was an incredibly conscientious, diligent head teacher. And I can imagine the, 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 the grief that she felt when she was given that inadequate judgment. and and. You know, looking at looking back now, the inquest is coming off. You know, people haven't used that. People have said this could have been me, and and head teachers said I, I can see exactly why she made you know where it caused so much um, distress that led to that that tragic outcome because you know school leaders, the you know thought of taking the school into inadequate is just it's just a, a dreadful prospect um, if you've been a, a, school, a school leader that's given everything to your community. What would you have sort of responded? Because I know she said sort of things along the lines of, you know, and there are many who say this, actually, not not just Amanda Spielman. You know, there are a lot of people who say this, who say Ofsted's not supposed to be popular. It's, it's never going to be popular. Um, it's always going to be doing things that people don't want to hear or don't like. And, and, and that's always been its role and that always will be its role. And therefore that's people you know teachers just need to get on with it essentially and stop sort of you know um well she would say doing things for Ofsted but but all you know um I mean what's what's your take on that well I think it, it should be proportionate um and it does feel like the current um, system is disproportionate because it's um it's spreading that stress and accountability across um, far too many people in an organization um it's also it also should be it, it should be accurate as well and i think some of the judgments that we're hearing about and it's really interesting tom actually because i'm just going to go back to my first point about it being proportionate a number of my colleagues are saying things like it was the worst professional experience of my life it was it was it was brutal they're the sort of words you, and these are people tom who are still coming out with good overall grades who are still coming out with outstanding grades because during that inspection um it's 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 the, it's some of the um it's it's the stress that's causing i heard from a colleague two weeks ago who um who's pleased with the overall outcome of the inspection but at one point they thought the school was going to go um into um inadequate judgment because of safeguarding because the, the it's been reported to me the lead inspector said you should have more safeguarding referrals for a school of your size well that sort of you know that sort of comment you know what do you mean made, by that sorry i don't, I don't understand they they that said that the, they the, the the lead inspector said you um the, the school um it doesn't have for the size of your school i'd expect more safeguarding referrals and he, and they went down a, a line of inquiry about whether the school was um adequately keeping children safe and and that head teacher goes and describes the absolute stress that she went through during that period um there was no evidence to, to say that the school wasn't keeping children safe but during those few hours when the office inspector went to dig into this situation of course you can imagine the anxiety and i'm getting stories like this reported in my inbox about the sort of um, 
the sort of stress that people are going through during uh, during inspection. So we need what? to look at we need to look at uh, how how that's happening, and we need to make sure that we are treating people with dignity. That people aren't um, aren't. I mean, how many schools, Tom, are told they could be inadequate on day one, then everything's absolutely fine on day two? That's happened for a long, long time. And that means it's a sleepless night for the um, for the school leaders and they go in there. We need a, a more humane way of inspecting rather than some of the um, some of the, the things that we're, ha we're hearing um, are happening during inspection now. Um, Sarah, who's here, actually, um, she tweeted um, last week, I think it was. She said, I've just uh, she's a school leader. She just said, um, I've just seen an Ofsted for a fairly local school. I don't know it, but the report praised lovely atmosphere, behavior, curriculum, learning, everything you'd want from a school. It was just requires improvement as coordinators don't get enough time to monitor the curriculum and they don't assess the wider curriculum enough. Really, this is a small school. I don't particularly know it, but I do know that each member of staff there will have several curriculum areas and there won't be enough money for supply. This is the kind of thing that tipped Ruth over the edge. This is why Ofsted is not fit for purpose. As a parent, a happy, welcoming school with a good teaching curriculum, great behaviour will be more than enough for me. What is the purpose of official assessment of wider curriculum for individual children at primary anyway? Um, I mean, that sort of ties in with what you were saying, Simon, doesn't it? Because um, you're basically the, the whole sort of issue of context, um, which has always been a complaint that people have made about Ofsted. They've always said when it was results driven, people have said, well, you know, why then, dis you know, it's disadvantaging schools in tough areas because they're, they're never going to match up to a, a grammar school, et cetera, or a selective school or, or a school in a leafy suburb. You know, that's always been. And now we're seeing a slightly different thing where it's actually the size of the school, the nature of the school, the curriculum, uh, the way they, they, you know, is Ofsted in its current form always going to be open to injustice? It's a, it's a good question, Tom. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's about the skill of the inspectors. Uh, I've had 10 inspections as a school leader and I've had some brilliant inspectors that have really understood context which have been able to apply the the framework professionally and and i think every inspector uh, lead inspector i've had has been able to do that in a way but we do know that um that's not necessarily consistent across um across the whole workforce i mean ofsted has a a large workforce um the majority uh, the majority of those um people inspecting schools aren't school leaders um yeah. i think it's, there's a myth, actually, that the majority are school leaders. But if you look at Ofsted, you've got your HMIs employed by Ofsted. You've got your people that work in school that do Ofsteds. But you've also got a large body of contractors that um, are recently retired school leaders often or people working in um, different spaces. So, you know, I'd like to see more school leaders. Uh, I'd like to see the majority of um, of inspectors uh, being school leaders and, and successful school leaders as well so and and, and it can be done well i have i've always welcomed ofsted i've always had the ofsted grade which was accurate even when my first inspection as a school leader the school was judged uh, to be a grade four but it was the right thing for the school so there are some positives around inspection but we are increasingly hearing about inspections not being able to professionally apply that context especially around small schools Tom like uh, the, the caller just said because small schools have limited resources uh, I'm knowing I know small schools Tom who are not employing ECTs currently because ECTs um, don't lead subjects and that puts an additional strain on the rest mm -hmm. of the 
people mm. well. So, you know, and, and Jill Jones, um, who was uh, director of school software, did some really good work, I think, in making sure the framework was being adapted and some of the trained materials, but I'm still getting some really, um, some, some reports from, from small schools where it's just um, causing real anxiety. And the disruption Ofsted causes, you know, drawing, you know, I think when they expect to do um, a number of deep dives and pull teachers out of classes, and then and then they're making comments on behaviour, and you know, and they're pulling teachers left, right, and centre during inspection. So there needs to be a little bit more understanding of the um, of, of the of the resources that we have in our smaller schools. Can you stick around for a bit longer, Simon? Because I've I've got a few more questions I want to ask you about. I just yeah, want to of course. Be able yeah. To bring in. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to bring Sarah. We'll see if Sarah can hear me first. Sarah, can you hear me now? I, I oh. No, maybe not. I think we're going to give up with maybe trying to connect Sarah, but I'll bring Shivan in. Shivan, are you there? I'm here, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, Shivan, just introduce yourself very briefly in terms of, you know, what you do. Sure. So, I'm, a, I'm an English teacher uh, at a Catholic school near Watford. I'm in my ninth year of teaching. I've actually just been through an Ofsted inspection myself. Well, it, well, let me ask you, what was your experience like? It was good. I mean, I think it's been really interesting listening to these discussions because it's it's given me a wider understanding of the issue. But for me and for my school individually, I, I thought the process was pretty fair um, and the inspectors were approachable and professional. Um, I think the terms they use actually make it sound more intimidating than it actually is in reality. So, you know, phrases like deep dives sound onerous, but actually in reality, it's, it consists of being asked a series of questions about your department. And then they go and off. They they go off and look to see if what you just said is actually happening in the classroom, and if it isn't, then obviously they'll haul you up and, and question you about why it's not. But if it is, they yeah they're, they're obviously going to celebrate your successes as well. So I actually thought it was surprisingly collaborative, and I think at the end of it, when my head teacher was speaking to the rest of the staff, she mentioned that it was a bit like having had professional consultants in in terms of how to improve the school. So so the experience I had most recently was was fairly positive. I'd I'd say. Would uh, has you? I'm not going to ask you the name of the school or anything like that, so don't worry. But has the grade come out from your report? Yes, sorry, it has. It, it, it was a good school. It got given good. So right, it was good well, this it was, was my next good. question, though, Shivan. If if that report had come out requires improvement, would you have said exactly what you've just said now? Yeah, I would have done. Yeah. Okay, because okay. I'll, give you, I'll give you a bit more um, context about why. So you get an opportunity to submit a survey as a member of staff. Parents submit surveys as well, so they have evidence beyond just the grades and the data from the previous years uh, to hand. They've obviously gone through the school website and looked at all the different policies. And then they have the kind of, you know, the, the ob observations from their, from their trips of the deep dives and, and the different departments they focus on. So I think that, you know, whatever the grade had been, I would have said it would have been fair given, I felt that my department got given enough scrutiny. I'm sure that was true of other departments that were deep dives. Yeah, I, I mean, what I'm sort of getting at there is it's, I guess the, the, what critics would say is it's very easy to be relaxed after the event if things have gone okay. Whereas, you know, it's a little bit like Premier League football. If, if VAR lets you down and you end up losing 3-2 and getting relegated, um, or VAR turns out actually, you know, VAR, VAR worked for us and we ended up staying in the league um, on the last day or whatever, then the reactions might be quite different. You know, that would be what Chris. I, w I wondered, Simon, have you, have you got anything on what Shivan's just said? 
Yeah, I think um, it, it, a lot. You know, it, he's describing a positive experience, which um, which which isn't isn't unique. There's a lot of schools uh, describing that sort of um, process that they're having. But I think the difference, um, you know. A lot of people who are getting good inspections and outstanding inspections are saying that it was that the process was was still um, very very traumatic, and I think that's a difference. Whereas previously, Tom, uh, heads would often you know say, "Oh, Ofsted, Ofsted's dreadful," but you'd, and, and that would be tied to a, a judgment which was less than good. But with with the feedback I'm getting from uh, members across the country is that more and more schools who were getting good overall judgments or outstanding judgments even are saying that that was you know that process was um, was disproportionate um, and and I think we need to look at that and we need to really look at the the impact it's having not just on school leaders because you mentioned the Ofsted survey and if there's only school leaders filling that survey we need to look at surveying all staff. On the impact of inspection, because um, it's uh, I, I had a positive inspection in in May, but I know that a couple of members of my team found it really really challenging, and I, and I wish we could have fed that back in, in a survey. Uh, Shivan, back back to you a moment. Did did you find it stressful, and did did anybody else find it stressful? Like, what was the lead up like? Um, I think the lead up, there was a sense of ine inevitability because we, it had been four or five years since the last inspection and there were inspections going on in local schools. So it, we kind of knew it was going to happen at some point. I think the, the issue with stress for my, in my particular instance was that my leadership team were pretty certain that we'd be inspected before the summer holidays. So there was a kind of sense in the air of, you know, of um, impending doom. And then actually they didn't arrive. So there was a summer holiday of, you know, you, you could relax and think and stop thinking about it. And then the second we got back in September, it was kind of back to this idea of, you know, they're going to be here any day now. So that was unhealthy. And I think that kind of whole culture is fairly unhealthy. And on an individual le level, I didn't, I wasn't particularly stressed by Ofsted. I've, I've been through Ofsted before my previous school. Um, I haven't been through this particular framework of the deep dives. Um, and, I, and last time I, last time I was observed, I was, I was an ordinary classroom teacher. This time around, I'm, I'm second in charge of our department. So I was in the meetings um, for the deep dive, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't find it particularly stressful, partly because I was confident in my own little box of the school, in my own in my own little unit of the school that that things were going well. So I wasn't worried individually. I think for the whole school, it's obviously a very stressful occasion, and I felt a lot of sympathy for the leadership because that is, I think, more challenging and more draining uh, being being a senior leader. You you made a tweet, Shivan, which is one of the reasons I asked you on, which I I found interesting. You said unpopular opinion. Given how ideologically captured so many schools are by various strains of identity politics, having an inspectorate is more essential than ever. Um, no way should schools be able to mark their own homework. I'm wondering, A, what you mean by that, and B, what you would like Ofsted to do then? Yes, yeah, so I was referring there to the, um, re the inquiry about um, the future of Ofsted. I think it's called Beyond Ofsted and the suggestion that schools should have uh, the ability to sort of self-evaluate. So that was, that was the kind of criticism of, of, of that particular inquiry. Okay. Um, what was the second part of your question there, Tom? The second part was, you said having an inspectorate is more essential than ever when it yeah. comes to this issue of schools in, um, captured, as you put it, by, by various strains of identity politics. So I'm wondering what you want inspect the inspectorate to do. What, what is it you're asking them to do? 
I think I, I'm I'm concerned about a lack of political neutrality in schools. And this is kind of more anecdotal and based on my own personal experiences and to speaking to teachers in other schools as well. But I find that that increasingly on various different agendas, there is a there is a bias that tilts too far to the left, um, and there isn't enough of an effort made by both both classroom t teachers and also um, senior leaders to kind of nudge that back towards the middle. Um, so, for example, you know, you know the decolonization movement, the uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion movement. Um, there are so many forms of social justice that have kind of permeated into our schools that haven't really been tackled. And I, I suppose I'm criticizing Ofsted in the way of not doing much about it beforehand. Um, so I'm concerned about that. And I think the idea, so following on from that thought process, the idea that we should hold back on inspections or, 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 or as, as the report suggested, uh, that there should be no contact between Ofsted and schools. That to me is the opposite of what we should be doing. I think we should be more concerned about political neutrality in schools um, have more more of a concerted effort to try to maintain that through through kind of our institutions like Ofsted, um, as opposed to essentially marking their own homework and saying here are our targets and publishing them on your school website and then not even having a follow through on, on whether or not you you met them. Um, Simon, I don't know whether you've got any sort of thoughts on that one. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where Shivan's evidence base is coming from from that. And we do need an independent inspectorate there. We need a, um, an, an inspectorate which is independent um, of, of government to a certain degree as well, because um, we do want to make sure that they inspect uh, without fear or favour, because we do know that um, there's been some... I mean, there was, a, there was an issue, wasn't there, about um, the child identifying as a cat at the school. And I know that Ofsted went in and, and said there was, there was no issue in that school, but there was some political interference there. So having a politically neutral independent inspector is absolutely essential so I, I agree with Shivan on that but um, you know in terms of I've, I've never come across um, schools that, um, that are not following the, the teacher standards and teachers and, and this is in my role as a school improvement advisor Tom um, yeah we, you know, and, and I think uh, we have to be careful um, leaving at the door that the teachers are you know teaching a, a, a leftist agenda because you know I know as a school leader we want to make sure that um, we don't uh, get into that space and we make sure that our we're teaching um, uh, balanced uh, balanced views and we're teaching children um, how to how to be good citizens and follow those British values which are so important to the school. Shivan, I don't know whether you want to sort of say anything than that but the, the basic question is you know what evidence do you have to say that um, schools are, are that so many schools are ideologically captured? Sure so I, mean, I, I think I'll talk about you'd have to break it down because I think the social social justice movement is pretty broad. So for example, on race, you could point to the Don't Divide Us Now um, findings. They, they released a report recently about uh, anti-racism in schools and how that's pretty much widespread in terms of teaching about microaggressions, white, white privilege, um, and, and the kind of anti-racist ideas, not not as theory, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, I'd be completely fine with that. It's, it's being, the way it's being taught as kind of fact, uh, as opposed to theory or, or or being taught as theory without the counterbalance of the opposing theory. Um, so that's that's a race. When it comes to something like decolonization, decolonization, I think again, there's a kernel of truth in this idea of of having more representation in, in a curriculum. But then you you see a lot of examples of essentially a kind of shoehorning in of texts that are kind of almost activist texts. Um, when it comes to things like the the gender issue. Uh, we've we've had a policy exchange report about how many schools are 
either socially transitioning kids without informing the parents or not following government advice on that issue. So it's not just one thing. It's not just one. There's not just one facet to it. It's a, it's a multifaceted movement. Um, so that would be my kind of response to that. As I said, when I, did, when I introduced my earlier statement, I did talk about how it was anecdotal support, uh, evidence that I was giving, but it was pointed to two particular publications recently. I pointed to Do Divide Us Now and um, Policy Exchange. Would would there, though, be, though, I'm, I'm sure the immediate critique of that would be that those two organisations are ideologically captured themselves. Do you know what I mean? That would be the first thing people would say. So well, when, you use the, when you use the phrase ideologically captured, I think it, uh, I'd be kept to the, what I meant by that is that it's it's, that, that that schools have been to some extent have fully embraced a particular strain of progressive ideology so don't divide us now are a campaign group set up to counter the what they would say divisive way in which race is being addressed in schools so i don't think they they have an ideological mission i suppose but they're not ideologically captured in the same in, in a way for ideological captured you often don't realize you are ideologically, ideologically captured uh, so don't i wouldn't accuse that uh, don't divide us now of being ideologically captured um and policy exchange i would obviously argue have got a right-wing bent and they, they are a they are a more conservative uh, think tank but equally, their findings are pretty robust. I mean, they surveyed a, a fairly large sample of schools in regards to the gender issue. So, that yeah, just to get our terms. Well, I, down, I understand what you're saying. I'm just pointing out that, that the director of Don't Divide Us is a is standing for the Brexit Party. I think a, she stood for the Brexit Party. She stood for, sorry, the Brexit Party is a protest against X, Y, Z. So I'm just saying that, you know, she's the director. And this is no slight on her, by the way, at all. Um but all I'm saying is, I'm, I'm just trying to put across that I, I understood what I, I think I understand what you're saying in your tweet now. My my sort of question would be is who, who you know you're, you're presuming that the inspectorate isn't ideologically driven. Oh, that's it's completely not... true. I saw some responses. I, yeah, I mean, firstly, this is one of the issues about Twitter. It's not it's not it's not very it's not a very helpful platform in a way. I mean, obviously, 240 characters is not uh, a very it's not enough to, to offer nuance and and uh, you know uh, kind of well let me I know, I know that, take. let me ask you Shivan your just before I go back to to Simon and hopefully Sarah as well because I think she's managed to sort her um, connection out um, what if if I gave give you some options now Shivan as an English teacher I want you to tell me which one you choose option one leave Ofsted exactly as it is in its current form um, option two uh, leave Ofsted um, uh, sorry, leave Ofsted in its current form is option one. Mm -hmm. Option two, leave Ofsted in its current form, but remove the one word gradings or the gradings as yeah. such. And option three, go for abolish Ofsted and go for a completely different system, which would be either built on self-evaluation or peer evaluation. Out of those three, which one would you choose? Can I answer that with a caveat? I'll yeah. I would go for option one, but that, I'm, but that's not to say that I am actually wedded to Think, I, I'd be open-minded to reforms. I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't ever say. So, for, for a lot of the criticisms Becky made, I, I actually agree with. Um, I think some of the inspections are too short. So, for example, my school was only inspected for two days. I think it's very hard to get a window into a school in just two days. Um, I think the fact that only five departments were deep dived clearly means you're not looking at the school in the round, which is a problem. So, there's so many criticisms I, that I would make of the process, and I also agree with what she said about how you only get a snapshot in in that observation of a teacher. Well, you, you know. think you you think the grading should stay? 
So can I get can I give you a, a, my reason why about yes. why? So a couple of things. So there were two main reasons. So as a parent myself, I'm I'm currently trying to find the preschool for our three year old daughter. Okay, and the one word ratings are helpful because I don't know much about the early years phase. So I'm looking around for these different preschools and it helps as a parent to just be able to filter out schools um, that just with that one word requirement that then you then go on to read the more detailed report. But there's a school around the corner for me that if I hadn't read the one word, what the one word, I, you know, I would have maybe, you know, made the mistake of, of, of sending my child there. So I think having that simple way of just knowing whether or not to read the full report is useful. So you um, trust that grading 100% by well, the sound no, of it? So what I meant, no, not entirely. I think what, what I would then do, and I think what parents should do, and I'd encourage them to do, is then read the full report and see what the criticism of the school was. But a lot so of things don't, do they? Well, that's, that's, the, that's, that's, their, that's, their, that's their problem. I think for me as a parent who's interested in and invested in my child's future and their education, I think it's that's, that's, that's for them to decide not to do. But I think if you have the option of reading the full report and you don't take it, that's, that's on you. Um, but the but what I would I what I would about... put to you though, Shivan, is you could you know we did this poll actually the other day on on CTR and our on our um, socials. We actually put out a poll. We we put out an Ofsted report, the text from it, yeah. and then we said, what grade do you think this report was? And like eighty to ninety percent said it was good. It wasn't. It was requires improve. Mm-hmm. It was rate. It was graded requires improvement. So yeah, you know what would you say to that? So again, so I hadn't quite finished my point. So, so firstly, I think. The fact that you have that one, the, the reason I could see why you'd stick, stick with the one word um, assess, uh, the one word judgment would be that another reason is you see schools kind of taking snippets of the report and using them as kind of marketing ploys or whatever, uh, either, either publishing them on, on, in front of the school or on the website. I think the one word judgment in a way you can't, you can't kind of, um, because it doesn't give you much wriggle room in that sense. The second, the second reason why I would keep the judgments as they are is because I think, I don't, I don't quite understand, and maybe you can give me a better understanding. This is an area that I'm not an expert in here. But I don't quite understand why why should teaching as a profession not have um, a judgment like that when you do have that for, for the CQC and for, for the police and other kind of public service institutions. Um, so again, a, a recent experience I had was trying to find a good maternity ward for the delivery of our child. And that I found really useful having the CQC report, and, and again, it was a one-word judgment because it ruled out a couple of hospitals locally that had had um, been downgraded. So I think for the for the user, um, mm. for the parent, for the for the service user, if it's, if it's a hospital for for uh, the local system, if it's the police force, it is useful to have those gradings. And I agree with you about you know people should then go and read the full report, and you can have reports that you know, and, and clearly you have cases of injustices where some schools are criticised for things like you know. That are that maybe shouldn't mean that they're in that particular grading, but I do think although it's a flawed system, I can't, I, I don't. The options you just gave me, the two options besides the one, the one I went for, I don't see how they're better than than the option op, than option one. I'll pass over to the NAHT president, Simon. <laughs> so I'm just repeat those three uh, questions again because I, I, I've just dropped well, out the, from the, the second one. The question one. I gave to Shivan, Shivan, yeah, uh, sort of outlined. Because I gave him three options, I said, um, "Stay as you are." I heard the first one. Yeah, retain it as it is. Yeah. Uh, the second option was retain it as it, it is, but remove the gradings. And the third one was abolish it and replace it with either self-evaluation or peer review. 
Okay, and none of those actually, because um, oh. I, I think we, we we need reform. I think um, I think the Ofsted outstanding grade has had its day a long time ago. Because um, you know what, what what we're looking for is the new chief inspector to come and really listen to the profession and to go and listen and to plan a way forward um, with the next government as well to make sure that um, some of the frustrations we have around Ofsted um, are really difficult. I think there's a real argument of whether Ofsted should be defining what high quality is and whether they should be having a um, this school meets a standard, um, this school doesn't uh, judgment. I know when we have the um, um, the food hygiene rating for, for restaurants, we don't see them putting big banners um, outside their restaurants saying we got a grade four in our hygiene scale. They leave other mechanisms like reviews um, like, um, like to, to go and make sure that there's quality as well. So I think Ofsted defining excellence in the system and, and Shivan made a, an interesting point about choosing a, a nursery school for his um, for his children. Uh, my experience is though I, I've worked in schools with all grades and the quality teaching has been pretty similar across all those grades it's just that often there's a lag in the improvement journey of a school so a, a grade three might have some of the most outstanding practice um, in the local area but because there's a lag in the inspection system it's um it's it's not always um it, that and, and conversely tom i've, I've also taught, uh, worked in some outstanding schools as school improvement advisor the way the quality of education has been pretty grim so i think um yeah, my advice to shivan is read the reports but more importantly reading reports and going on the grades go and visit those settings because that's where you'll get a truth uh, but but shivan did make that point his mate, one of his points there was, uh, as a parent, I guess, and this is a point Ofsted always make as well. Parents want that one word judgment, and he also said, um, and I don't want to put words in Shivan's mouth here, so Shivan, feel free to correct me. But I think he said, why should teachers not have the same sort of um, inspections as people in other industries do? Well, um, I'm not sure. Um, I want to go into other industries and what they're talking about. I'm talking, I know the school inspection system and the sort of damage that some of those um, those, those gradings do to schools. So um, I think we need to look at, it's very, very difficult when you're judging mm. a complex organisation like a school to distill it into one single grade. Um, and I do support uh, the idea of having uh, more measures and moving away from trying to do that because most of our schools are good. The, the biggest category is good. And there's, there's a huge difference in the quality of schools, which are good schools, which just scrape um, a good um, judgment and schools, which are, are borderline outstanding. So I, I, Simon, sure. do you, do you, do you believe that 89% of schools in the country are, are good or better? Yes, do you, I, I do. I, I, I okay. do believe that um, 89% of, of schools are good or better. The schools that I go and visit, the schools and my local authority, yes, that would certainly um, that would certainly tally um, with what I um, see. I'll come back to you. Thank you, Simon. I'll come back to you in a second. Um, Sarah, let's see if you can hear me now. Yeah, I can hear you now, Tom. Can you hear me? Oh, smashing. Good evening to you. Um, do you have any thoughts on any of this? You're, you're a um, head of school, year five, six teacher. Um, any yeah. thoughts on anything you've heard so far? Oh, lots of thoughts. I've, I've not heard all of it because I had trouble off obviously hearing what you were saying. Yeah. I, I could hear what everybody else was saying. Um, I think, um, is it Shivan who was talking before? Yeah. Before his name. I think um, my first thing I'd say to Shivan is if you're looking for a nursery for your, for your child, go and visit the nursery, speak to local people. <laughs> Don't go on a one-word judgment because what's outstanding for another child might not be outstanding for your child. You know, I know some very, very happy requires improvement schools and it's just a technicality that they're requires improvement on. 
So a one word judgment is not a good way to pick a school. And, and picking up on another thing, the small schools issue, I teach in a small school where uh, um, our plan is 20. Um, so we are, we're roughly at the moment about 120 children in our school. And we have five classes taught by uh, a mixture of full-time and part-time teachers. And we all have many curriculum areas. I've got, as well as head of school, full-time teaching year five and six, uh, safeguarding lead. Um, I am also English, art, PSHE, modern foreign languages. I have all those subject areas under my belt. So when Shivan's talking about being second in command and feeling all right with Ofsted and saying, you know, the senior leaders are the people that are, are suffering. If you put yourself in my place, I could be a senior leader and have a deep dive into two or three of my subject areas. We've got um, fairly newly qualified teachers leading subject areas. We've got part-time teachers leading two subject areas. You know, people on two days a week leading maths and design technology because we have to we have to have all these subject areas led. And if you're in a big multi-academy trust, then maybe you've got experienced teachers wanting those positions, getting paid TLRs, being given time to um, effectively lead those areas. And that, that's the difficulty that we're under as small schools. We cannot be judged on the same framework as the big schools. Um, I guess, Sarah, to play devil's advocate a little bit here, um, I'm sure Ofsted would say something like, well, we inspect all schools, we have one framework for all schools. If we start to sort of say, well, one school can get different outcomes from the same framework, then that would be bias and that would be uh, unequal across the system. Well, they, I'm sure they could say that. They can say what they want. <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not fair to judge how we lead subject areas. It's fair to, to see how we teach, but as a, as a teacher going into a deep dive, being expected to know as much as somebody who is given you know regular non-contact time to lead their subject area who is given a tlr many and has many years experience you know I, i've got years experience i've got four subject areas i think i'm okay on them but i probably would struggle and say well i'm gonna have to go and ask so and so about this bit because i just don't have the time if, if i had let's say i had one day a half term to lead my subject that sounds fair doesn't it one day a half term you know to go on to go on courses, to yeah. look at paperwork, to go into classes, see what's happening, monitor, look at books. One day, one day a half term, that would be almost five weeks out of class for me. Yeah. Out of my five year five, six class, I cannot be expected to lead my subject in as thorough a way in the time that I'm given. And I do spend a vast amount of my spare time leading my subjects, my weekend time, my holiday time, as do most of my colleagues. And that's where I think we need to see a difference. I think we need to see actually that small schools can offer things that big schools can't. Mm, interesting point. Um, Sarah, I'm going to ask you the big question in a minute. The three things you'd like to see um, out of my three things. I don't know if you heard my three things, but I will run through them with you again in a second. But just before we do, massive shout out to John Cat. Um, who support this show. I don't know if anybody listening has heard of John Cat. If you visit johncatbookshop.com, you can get 20% off any book on there by using the code JCTTR2324. You can get 20% off, regardless of how big your order is, off any of the books at John Cat Bookshop. It's an amazing resource for professional development, and we really appreciate them 
supporting all of our shows at Teachers Talk Radio at the moment. A massive shout out to everybody joining us live. Uh, Clive, Maxine, uh, Paul, Dale, Chris, Adam, Lee, Ruth, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. No, I'm joking. Uh, Streetly Primary School, Miriam, Simon, uh, David. Um, yeah, we've got lots of people. Abby there. Loads of people listening live, and obviously many thanks. If you're listening, if you're listening back to this as a podcast or a recording, and you've got this far, we really appreciate you sticking with us. One million downloads today on Teacher Sort Radio, which we're absolutely delighted about. A hundred thousand unique live listeners since we kicked off this whole extravaganza. Um, Sarah, I'm going to ask you the three things that you want out of Ofsted. Are you ready? Yeah. You got to choose one. So number one is either Ofsted stays exactly as it is. Is number one. Number two is Ofsted stays as it is, but we remove the one word judgments or gradings, but the rest of it stays the same. Option three, Ofsted is removed and replaced with it with either self-evaluation, peer review, or literally just a safeguarding function. Right. Okay. I mean, my teaching career began in 1990. So I think, I had a year or two without Ofsted, but since then I've been through every single type of Ofsted um, inspection that there's been, from the ones where you knew when they were coming for six months to, you know, now ones. So it depends on on which variation of, but you're talking about what they are like now, what we should do with them now. Um, well, it's not going to be the first one. So. I think, I mean, definitely we need to get rid of the one word judgments. I think they, they don't help anybody. If you're really that interested in what your uh, future kids school is going to be like, then you'd read the report, surely. And if you can't be bothered to read the report, then you're probably just going to take your kid to the school down the road or the one that your your friends say is nice. Um, it does need some sort of reform. We, we do need somebody or somebody that checks that everything's going OK. We've got to have some checks and standards. So somewhere between B and C, I'd say. Interesting. Um, uh, Shivan, I don't know whether you want to sort of say anything on this whole issue of um, the one word judgments and parents not really getting much from that, because you definitely think you said more than once that you think the one word judgment was useful to you, is something you look at as a parent. Yeah, for sure. I'd look at it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see what the harm is in a sense because I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to only look at the one-word judgment and then send my child to the outstanding school. I'm going to read the one-word judgment and then read the full report and then make a decision based on that. But I mean, I, I mean, I, I will be frank. I wouldn't send my child to a, a requires improvement school, depending on what the requires improvement was for. Like, so for example, if it was for behaviour, there's no way I'd send my child there, and it's, it's helpful as a parent. But but offset have only spent two days there though, Shivan, in five years in some cases. Sure, but then if, if I mean, and, and as you mentioned this earlier on, but if eighty percent of, or is it eighty something percent of schools are good? percent. Right. Okay. So, so I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert in this. I would be deeply skeptical of whether that's true in terms of if you were to turn up to most of these schools, would you see good education? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. Um, but what I would say is if, they, if they've gone in for two days or whatever it is, four days, and they've seen it's not good. And, and the reason is for behavior or for something like safeguarding or I'm trying to think of the big issues for me that would that would that would be a kind of red, a red flag. It, it would be helpful for me as a parent. So I wouldn't I would know not to send my child and I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Um, but so it's, it's, it's I, what I, I'm I suppose what I'm saying, though, is that if if I went into a school yeah. as a secret supply teacher, 
to yeah. see and and I would get a really good take on on the behavior but Ofsted are going in there as inspectors and yeah. they're going in for two days and it's slightly different isn't it that like you're basically saying they can judge in that two days you're you're confident that they can make the correct judgment in those two days I'm fairly confident I wouldn't I, I don't think I think you I think but why though because I think you, like I said before, if you if you're doing a deep dive of of, of, a, good, of a good number of subjects, if you're going around the school at break time and lunchtime, um, if you're being given tours of the school throughout the, throughout the day, I think you do get to see something of the school. I'm not saying it's a full picture for sure, it's not, um, but I think you get to see enough to make a judgment. I would like to my I, we haven't spoken about this, but I would like to personally, I, I would like to see the inspections ha- you know, going on for three to four days to give to give them more time to make a judgment. I think. Two days is probably too short, um, mm. and I think one of the things I was interested to kind of discover, just doing some reading and pre- preparation for this, is just how small the budget is for Ofsted. And we, I mean, we have we, we spend so much money in terms of public spending, and then our the budget we afford Ofsted is the same. Well, it's one hundred and fifty. It's about one hundred and fifty million pounds, which okay in well, country. I think Spielman said it's the same as a large secondary school. Well, regardless, what, what it, well, no, I mean, one hundred and fifty million pounds is 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 more than a secondary school, isn't it? It's... I don't, I don't. Again, I, 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 the, the quote that she that was directly from her was that she, um, she said she wrote or said that the budget for offset had, had dwindled over the twenty years. That, well, it may have uh, dwindled. It and, still and that, stands and that at around the, the way she put it was, and this is word for word, it's currently the same as a large secondary school. Who, who that, said that? This, I think, it's an introduction to her recent report. Who? Who? Amanda Spillman. Uh, Amanda Spillman. Yeah. All right, I I didn't see that bit, but um, I I, yeah, I know I'm, the budget I'm, I'm is around it basically verbatim, and I, I'm, I may, unless I misinterpreted the quote, that's what she said. Well, I know the school budget. I know the budget for Ofsted is around 150 yeah. million pounds a year, which is a lot more than a single second. Yeah, but I'd have to read. I don't know exactly what was said or why. Um, Sarah, do you, any reply to that? Um, you know what you've got to think. What if it's your child that's the one that's um, you know, got behavioural issue issues? That you know, there could be a school that that has a lot of experience in managed behavior where the behavior doesn't necessarily look um what you would imagine a good school should look like but you know every school is different you can't judge a school on a one word judgment particularly if that one word judgment has been given um because the teacher who teaches a year 6 class um doesn't know what the teacher in the year 1 class is doing in in history for instance or even with some safeguarding issues, it's been that a box hasn't been ticked on a certain piece of paperwork in the office. Um, I think there's far, there'd be far more to it than these one-word judgments, and that different schools just needed to be need to be treated differently. You can't treat small schools in the same way that you treat a huge high school. Sarah, were you that were you here when we talked about um, the fact that the police, the CQC, the hospitals? That other public service institutions to go through the same thing. Do, like, do you have an answer? I'm just. It's a genuine question. Like, why do you think teaching should be exempt from that? And you might persuade me. I, I don't. don't know. At any point, I said that I think that teaching should be exempt from inspection. No, but it's in the. Uh, sorry, sorry. I, don't, I didn't mean you did. I meant. I meant it's in the one word um, judgment. And because I just don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's. Would you Would you go to requires improvement hospital? No, I don't think it's helpful for any any um, institution to have a one word judgment. If you're going to a hospital and it's got, um, I don't know, what they're not in- inadequate. I don't know what they call them in hospitals. But, you know, that you might go to a ward in the hospital where they're absolutely amazing. 
but could you see how it'd be helpful for the user? Like, cause I, so I'll give you an example, just as right. a concrete example. I have a pacemaker. Um, so I've, I've, I've always had to go to, you know, I've, I've been, I've had, I have a, uh, two checks a year for this pacemaker, uh, an ECG check and a battery check. Um, and I, there were three hospitals locally that I could choose from. Um, two of which are currently, in, I think it's inadequate, it's the, it's the one word judgment. And then the one I go to is, is good. So for me as a user, and I'm not an expert in cardiology, I'm not an expert in medicine at all, but that was useful for being able to find the right but how ward do, on that. How Does do you it... know you found the right one? Because you've only gone to one. No, I've, I've been, I, actually, I didn't give you the full story. I did go to the other, to, to the other one uh, and then it got downgraded and I can see why. Okay. I, I, I think we're talking about, you know, if, if we've got a school that's inadequate, that's a very different kettle of fish to your requires improvement, which could just be on one or two points. That is the bound, you know, blurring the boundary between good and requires improvement. A school could be good one day and requires improvement the next, and then back up to good the next day. And I think, you know, if people are using that as a, a reason to send their child to that particular school, it's very damaging to schools that actually are good. I mean, if I read you just very quickly, I don't know if I've got time. Yeah, to go, go, sorry. Yeah. So, um, the report, the report that Tom was saying that he posted and said, you know, what do you think this report is? was actually something that I'd posted from a local school. I don't know this school, but I'll read you um, the last couple of paragraphs. I mean, it, it, it's all brilliant. The, the opening statements are all brilliant. But it says, pupils are happy and engaged at school. They enjoy learning and they like their teachers. Pupils know they can talk to an adult in school if they're worried about anything and they will be listened to. The school has thought carefully about how to ensure that all pupils achieve well and are successful. It says at the last bit, it says, consequently, pupils attain well across the school. And that school has been judged as requires improvement because it's been picked up on a couple of points about curriculum progression, um, which is, you know, you've got to remember that's 13 subjects in a primary school, none of which are um, led by experts in those subjects or particular experts in only those subjects. Should I say we're all experts in in our various ways. Um, it requires improvement. And it's it's crazy because that that sounds like the most wonderful little village school that you'd want to send your child to. And if you read that without the judgment, would you send your child there? Is that a direct question? Yeah, that's a direct question. You're... Yeah, no, I would. And, and actually, what I was, was going to say something further. I was also going to say that I think because I'm not a primary school teacher, I don't, I don't have that area of expertise. It's been it's illuminating to hear from that side of the fence. And I don't, I don't know enough about the primary system and, and how you were talking about how you were responsible for so many different subjects at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't, and it's, it's what I said earlier, I think I would read the report for, for the requires improvement school, see why it was downgraded or why it was given that judgment and then make a decision on, on, on the school. And really quickly, um, the point I was gonna make as well is that, um, I would do the same for an outstanding school because I think one of one of the issues with Ofsted is that they leave these schools for such a long time. I think I think some schools can go eleven years plus without having an inspection. So if I was looking at the one word uh, grading, I would also check when was your most recent inspection. That would obviously form part of my thinking as well. Shivan, can I ask how many schools have you worked in as a teacher? Two. Right. I mean, I've done ten plus, albeit some of them I sacked off really quick because I thought they were awful but a lot of <laughs> stayed in. the good ones I, I like and I've stayed in but I was going to say that the ones that have been graded inadequate one of them actually was graded inadequate and I was there for over a year um, and 
you could have taken that entire staff and put them into another school that was graded a different way. And I could have taken them into any of those other schools and many of them were graded good. Um, I don't think I've ever worked in an outstanding one, rated outstanding one, but I've worked in lots of rated good ones. And you could have taken those staff then and I promise you, they would have shone. They, they would have done just as good a job, just as a body of staff. As a body, they'd have worked just as hard. They'd have bit. They were as good as practitioners. There was nothing about them that you would have been able to differentiate. If anything, they were probably more professional, actually, and vice versa. I've also worked in a school that was graded good, where it had many of the traits that. Uh, and this is only my opinion, by the way, Tom. It's not you know the opinion of anybody else, but in my opinion, it had many of the traits that you would associate with a toxic school. Um. And it was it was graded good, solidly good, repeatedly good. But lots of the staff felt, you know, awful there sort of thing. So I just say from somebody who chose their son's primary school by the fact that it was on the right one way system for my husband to get to work. And I liked the head teacher that they were the they were the two reasons I went for that school above any other schools in our town where we've got some absolutely brilliant schools all the schools in our town are good I think but I think that the the most important thing for any child uh, is to be safe and to be happy and if I was reading the opening statement and it said all children in this school are happy and all children in this school are safe that would be the most important thing to me and you know to know they're engaged and learning well if I read this report it would not stop me from sending my child to that school if it said requires improvement Shivan, I don't know whether you want to come back on anything we've either of us have said. Well, uh, uh, two things. So firstly, I think both criticisms that you you made, so Sarah's and yours, are really fair criticisms. But what I would say is that they are criticisms of a flawed system, and I've never denied the fact mm. that the system is flawed. Mm. I, I just don't see a better alternative from the three you offered me. Um, and pers- my, my personal, my, mine was fairly boring. I think there should be another one word between good and requires improvement for what it's worth. So I think you should have okay. to so outstanding goods, something like satisfactory. Well, and then... Satisfactory. And, and, and you know, satisfactory was a, a much nicer grade. Than the yeah, I would bring that back. I think that's fair. And I think it also means you, you get a better picture of which schools are actually good compared to, you know, I don't believe that 80% of schools are good. I don't, I don't have any evidence for that, just, just my personal opinion. Um, and then the second thing I would say is I probably agree with Sarah on what she said about if, if children were happy and safe if it was a primary school but I, I obviously think that schools are about the quality of education they're providing and the quality of teaching and learning so I, I would have to have more than just that for me Sarah I don't know whether you want to add and that just, just happy and safe ha- happy and safe and learning well you know that they, they're the three things that you need yeah, whether the, the results you know there'd be some who would say well that's all well and good but if the results aren't where they should be then you know that that you know that the their qualifications when they leave the school matter just as much as anything else there would be some who would say that but but it doesn't go on results anymore and this is half the problem i kind mm. of did it a bit more when it did go on results yeah you know, I, I i could understand how they could make a judgment based on that but i didn't support it but it doesn't go on results 
So I think you've just got to look at everything separately, a report about the behaviour, a report about the learning, then look at the results. That's a separate thing to look at. Make your decision whether those results are important or whether the ethos is important. As a parent, make that decision. Um, Siobhan, I want to ask you, I don't know whether you heard when Simon was saying the NAHT report said that 85, I think it's something like 85% of heads uh, mention Ofsted when they talk about potentially quitting it's the pressure of Ofsted came out top of their sort of um you know stress survey um should the should that and and I'm sure with teachers many in fact I know the NEU did a survey and it came like second or third like the pressure of inspection and that was just a wider survey of teachers does that not do you think that should play a more prominent part in any conversation about Ofsted should should that be central to it should should that almost be the most important thing given how many teachers and leaders are leaving at the moment or want to leave I don't think it should be the most important thing but I think that's obviously really concerning and I would I would recommend or I would hope that they would come up with recommendations like having more more open dialogue between school leaders and Ofsted just generally not just in terms of inspections but generally having more of a dialogue between the, between them to, to to make sure that that is an issue that's dealt with um because that's obviously awful I mean, if you have if that is the number one reason that school leaders are leaving during a retention crisis that is that is really concerning but it wouldn't mean that doesn't mean that i should, i suddenly think that oh that means we should scrap this current system i think again it would be about making reforms as i, as I said at the beginning i'm not i'm not close-minded about um, suggestions for improving Ofsted and and making making it less onerous for teachers, less onerous for for senior leaders in particular. Um, I think just a quick one in terms of an observation from someone who's not a senior leader, just a classroom teacher. What I think has been the, the strangest thing that I I've personally experienced in terms of Ofsted culture as a teacher in my nine years of teaching um, is that their decrees get kind of bastardized by SLT and t- turned into something that they weren't meant to be. And, and that creates a, something terrible. So for example, I, mem- I remember there was a big, uh, one of the, the kind of big topic in education was uh, the idea of intent or curriculum intent, maybe a couple of years ago. And that just, that message got, got kind of muddied by senior leadership. And I remember being told, oh, in every lesson you have to talk about why you're teaching this particular aspect of the curriculum. And, and you know, you'd, you'd end up saying, well, we're doing this because of this and this. And every every five minutes you have to mention the, the intent. And often what I find what I found personally with Ofsted is that it's not necessarily Ofsted themselves or, or their decrees from on high. That, that's the issue. It's how schools behave in response to those decrees. And that would include also the kind of hands on deck feeling when when they're coming in. So this idea that you have to be there till nine and get every t cross every i dotted like that that is i suppose partly officer's responsibility but it's also just the way in which their their decrees but shivan let me let me put a, a sort of challenge that in there would be many many people who would say and and this includes me on a personal level not teachers talk radio who are completely impartial but me on a personal <laughs> level i would say oh i'm not even joking they are no no it's, i like a sort of swift defense of the institution I like <laughs> absolutely but i i was going to say that um it's very easy to sort of blame school leaders because ultimately the inspector itself should surely be, if they're going to put out anything to schools, then if that goes wrong, then isn't it sort of 
victim blaming in a way to say it's a li- it reminds me a little bit of the, the BBC Radio 4 interview. Little bit of sort of if you get this, if you get what we're saying wrong, that's on you. We're, we're fine. Whereas you might say that Ofsted are in a position of great authority within the profession. They're, they're, they're really prominent there. And you might say, well, hang on, they've got a responsibility to get that right. It's their responsibility. Um, because you could point out, there's many, many examples you could point out where people make bad decisions because they're under a huge amount of pressure. Have you ever made a bad decision under a huge amount of pressure, Shivan? Like coming on this show, you know, I DM'd you seven times. You said you'd come on. Do you, you know, that was that was under pressure. Sorry, I missed. I, I don't. I, I'm being <laughs> slow here, Tom. I didn't get your point there. It doesn't matter. I thought it was a value. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on what I just said? I just think I, I do agree with Siobhan that I sometimes when I listen to um, other school heads feeding back to staff uh, or listen to what people say they've said, I think, well, that's ridiculous what they're asking you to do. And that's not what Ofsted mean by that. But then there's no smoke without fire. And you only have to be, you know, a regular Twitter or I guess we should be calling them X um, joiner inner to, um, mm. to to read about those inspections where those terrible things have happened. And where people have been um, sort of slammed for things that they shouldn't have been and have been treated awfully. And I think that's the problem. People say, oh, no, Ofsted don't expect to see that. And then the next thing you see is a post where someone says, yes, they did. That's exactly what they did in our school. And and it's just that this is why I think Ofsted isn't really fit for purpose, because it seems to be so patchy in its judgments. It's not um, consistent. Um, Shivan, I have to get read out some of the comments um, on the socials about your comments about hospitals. Are you ready? Sure. Fire away. (laughs) So we've got Chris who says, if I'm seriously ill, the ambulance is taking me straight to my nearest hospital. I won't be reading any reports before I get there. One word judgments for hospitals are really only helpful for non-urgent admissions. And if you live outside the southeast, you don't have many options. That's, that's a fair point, but that wasn't the point I was making, to be fair to me. Um, I was making the point that the, the larger point I was making was, I, I, and I still haven't actually had an answer to this, and I, I'm, I'm open to changing my mind. But the point I was making is I don't understand why teaching the teaching profession should should be uh, should not be subject to the same... Do you, want me to, do you want me to try and answer it, Siobhan, on a yeah, personal sure, yeah, level? Yeah. I think this comes down to how you judge education. Education is a weird thing. I'll give you an example. In 50 years' time, somebody might remember something or recall something or imagine something that they learned about when they were a child in a particular school that had been graded inadequate or requires improvement for its entire existence, where people had left it over and over again, and it had been appalling for everybody involved. But there may be children out there in 30, 40, 50 years' time as adults who might look back and say, do you know what, without my education in that school, I wouldn't now be an Olympic athlete or a presidential candidate or a, I don't know why I just said presidential candidate, but you know what I mean, whatever. So it comes to me, it comes down to education being incredibly difficult, if not actually, I'm not going to say impossible, but very, very, very difficult to judge. And also the, 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 the way you judge it and what you judge it on being so movable and so debatable 
of what what is a good education what does a good education mean if you leave a school and you're happy at the end and you've met some great people and you've had a good experience and you leave more confident than when you started in it that's not going to be picked up by Ofsted that's not going to be picked up by anybody whereas if somebody is judging a hospital on where the surfaces are clean well I could walk around a hospital for 2 hours go into every single room scan every room and put a tick in a box that says that surfaces and all equipment is clean. Are things being done on time in a hospital? I can I can look at that and I can say, yeah, things are happening on time. All I'm trying to make the point to you is, is that education as a concept is much more movable and changeable. And in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, much more difficult to decide whether that what the even if you come up with your own criteria, it's still almost impossible to judge it. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I just still think there is a there is a, a way in which you can attempt, as you said, t- attempt to apl- apply a criteria uh, in terms of judgment to schools. And I think that's. I think. I think that's again. I think I. I lean more towards the, being a parent in this conversation than I do towards being a teacher. Oddly, um, because again, I think as a parent, I would want my child's school to be inspected regularly. I'd want to know what they. I, I, and again, I accept it's not necessarily. Flawed, it's not necessarily. Um, without its flaws, and it might be subject to bias, it might be subject to injustice, and I, I accept that it's not going to be objectively perfect. But I would rather have that as a parent. I'd have that information to, at my fingertips, have a report that gives me uh, a detailed breakdown of why why the inspectorate reached that particular judgment, than not have it. And I'm, I'm not I'm not saying for a minute that this current system is is, is without its flaws. But you did say you wanted it to stay as it was. Out of, the, out of the three options you gave me, yeah. Um, it, well, uh, Shivan, listen, it's it, you, it was fantastic having your points of view on. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, Sarah, I don't know whether you've got anything you want to sort of finish off on as a final thought on all of this. From your opinion on Ofsted, what could or should the future look like for Ofsted? Um, I think I'd like to see something uh, less one-word judgmental uh, more um, holistic report, possibly involving some kind of peer review um, with you know with other schools. Um, but the current system, I just think, needs to go. It causes far too much pressure. It's a main reason why leaders and and people, other people in schools, um, want to leave. And it's certainly one of the driving factors behind me leaving teaching to retire at the end of this year earlier than I would have done. Because... Oh, Sarah, really? Oh no! Don't worry. I'm going to have a good retirement. But it's no, uh, I know that. But it, but it was a key reason. It, it's one of the reasons. It's it's the bit of my job that I find way too stressful, and and I work in a school that doesn't make it stressful. But and we are like at the moment we're like a very over pregnant person. We're waiting for Ofsted, and we've been waiting a long time, and we know it's going to happen this year, and it's it's on your mind constantly. In fact, today the school phones were out of order, and my first thought was good we won't hear Ofsted ring if they if they're on the phone so um I think it needs to go and I hope it does go because I've got a son that's going into teaching and I'd really like him to be able to teach in a in a um system that's free of this kind of onerous pressure that's making us all feel sick a lot of the time uh Siobhan I'm going to ask the final bit to you is Ofsted what could or should the future look like and I, I feel like we've we haven't talked. We've talked a lot about the accuracy of judgments. We haven't actually had a chance to talk about pressure 
and the stress associated with Ofsted. But maybe another time we can do that. But Shivan, my final question to you to finish everything off. Ofsted, what could or should the future look like? Yeah, um, I think from, just from my individual perspective, I, and I can't speak kind of more broadly than that because I think it, it is there is a different level of strain for school leaders. And I appreciate what you, the, the stats you gave from the NH, NAHT are really concerning. Um, I would say, like I, like I said before, it's not particularly you know, original idea, but I would probably bring back that satisfactory. Uh, so you have a broader range of one-word judgments. Um, I would have more. I would have more, or I'd have lengthier inspections, so three to four days rather than just two. Um, I would be. Uh, I would be reluctant to to kind of scrap the more negative. I, I appreciate that it's been very emotional. You know, the, the Ruth Perry story is very emotional. Um, and really heartbreaking, tragic. But I would still stick with those one-word um, gradings because I think, as I as I said, as a te- as a, as a parent, I think they are they have a place, serve a place. Um, so I think the future with, of us, though, for me, would be they need to work more closely with the profession to try and um, heal the rift between the profession and, and the inspectorate. Um, longer inspections that are maybe more holistic um, and that would be my that would be my take on it. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't think they should change too much. Um, well, Shivan, I'm <laughs> you... let the comments roll in. <laughs> I'm swallowing paracetamol as we speak to <laughs> heal my headache that I've developed. Um, no, listen, um, I, I disagree with you, but I respect the fact that you've come on here and shared your your views, and that's what we're really all about here at CTR. We're trying to get different views from different people um, from across the spectrum of the profession. And it's been fantastic to be able to hear your view, Shivan. So thank you massively from from me and us for for coming on this evening. Sarah, absolutely same thing. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, It's been wicked. So thank you very much. Massive thanks to everyone for listening along. This will be available as a podcast um, via Teachers Talk Radio very soon. So if you follow us on Spotify or or Apple Podcasts or anyone else, anyone else, anywhere else where you get your podcasts from, then do uh, give us a follow, give us a subscribe, um, give us a review if if you so wish. That would be even better. Um, And, you know, say say how great and how much you enjoyed the show. It's it's been amazing to hear the the different views and opinions. Uh, Massive thanks, obviously, to Simon Kidwell, who was on earlier as well as president of the NAHT. Uh, It was amazing to be able to hear his views and opinions on these issues that aren't going to go away. It is the end of an era. Um, Amanda Spielman will be leaving as chief inspector and Sir Martin Oliver will be her replacement. It'll be interesting to see what is going to happen to Ofsted in the coming months, maybe years. How is it going to change again? Um, is are the one-word judgments going to change if Labour were to win the next election? Are we going to go to some sort of report form? Um, what's going to change and how it's going to change is a question that is definitely going to be prominent um, in the education system in the months, in the weeks and months and even years to come. And the controversy is not going to go away. Uh, we know that this week there is the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. Um, that will be closely followed, I'm sure, by everybody in the education community and the wider community as well. 
um and it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting um few weeks and months um a huge thanks to everybody for listening along and we'll be back on teachers talk radio tomorrow in fact we're, we're here every day every day new shows every day always live and always available on playback finally massive shout out to john cat john cat huge supporter of our show uh, and we really appreciate John Cat um, for supporting us um, all the time, really. Um, and if you want to check them out, they're at johncatbookshop.com. You can get your 20% off uh, by using the code CHASEYTTR2324 uh, at checkout. So thanks very much, everyone. And uh, yeah, see you again soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.